Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Kufhei in Maseches Yevamos. Mitzvah's Chalitza. We're going to be talking about Chalitza. And we're going to be starting 15 lines down Goranowitz on Kufhei Yomar Aleph. So we did have a little bit of homework. The reason why, because the other natural starting point was 17 lines before the page, because there's a Shalchulei, uh, a ruling sent to Abu Shmuel, and it has to do with spitting, actually. Today is about spitting. So we learned in the Shalchulei, uh, 17 lines up in Kuftal, and Beis, I'll say it a little bit outside, whether a Yavama can do Chalitza once she spits. You see, the order ha- is supposed to be you're supposed to do the chalitza, uh, untie the shoe and remove it first, and then spit. Okay. Let's say the woman has a bunch of, she's a yavama, right? And so she has a bunch of the brothers, the potential yavams around, and she's just like, uh, goes on a spitting frenzy before she gets a chance to do chalitza for any, for any of them. The question is, can she then afterwards do yibum? And so you would say, well, why wouldn't she be able to do even? Well, because if the spitting has any effect, any halachic effect, right? Maybe it has a halachic effect prior to the removal of the shoe. Well, if it does, then you've already done chalitza, and at that point you cannot do yibum. So that was the first discussion. Now, 50 lines down, there's a slightly different version, as you'll see, of what the discussion was as follows. So again, it's the premature spitting, where she just can't wait to spit in the guy's face. She knows about that part of the procedure, right? And then the question is, tachalos. So now she does chalitza, and then the little nuance of this ikad amri, the second version is, the Oh, so that's another nuance. So the first part before the ikad amri was that she definitely cannot do yibam, she has to do chalitza. Now what we're saying is, when she does do said chalitza, she does not have to spit again. The spitting she already did. So the question is, why? The procedure is supposed to be first the untying of the shoe and then the spitting. So why aren't we going to make us spit again? So that's what the Gemara asks, as we'll see. So first it says the story. The story went as follows. Woman came in front of Rabbi Ami. She was a Yavama. And Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Abba bar Mamal Kameh. Rabbi Abba Mamal was sitting in front of Rabbi Ami. And Rokakam mi Kameh de Tachalot. And as it so happened, again, right, two, she just wants to spit right in the guy before she gets a chance to do anything, and she did it before she did, before she released the shoes. So now she's already spat. So Hamalei Rabbi Ami, so Rabbi Ami said to the Yavam, Chalotzla, go ahead, uh, take the shoe off, or not, she takes the shoe off, but perform the Chalitza, have her take the shoe off, Vishari Le Tigra. And Let's get out of here. Let's get this over with. Let's finish this business. Okay. <laughs> Meaning, don't make her spit again. Okay, she spat. Fine. Just let's take off the shoe and let's be done with this. So I'm like Rabbi Abba. Okay, so they're in front of Rabbi Ami. And Rabbi Abba says to Rabbi Ami, Baba Ina Merik. Wait a minute. She took off the shoe. Let's just do the procedure as it's supposed to be. Let's, now that she took the shoe off, let's do the procedure and have her spit the proper order. So Rabbi Ami says, Yeah, but she already spat. So Rabbi Abba says, Yeah, so let her spit again. Right, like we've said before, uh, you know, with regards to chalitza. You know, so, so okay, so let's say she didn't have to spit again. Uh, 
But what's wrong with spitting again? In other words, at least this way we know we're covered. That if you need to do it in order, if it's me'akev, so to speak, so then at least we'll know that she already spat uh, after the chalitza as well. What would be wrong with that? That's what he means when he says, what would be wrong with spitting again? This way at least we're covered and we're sure that we did it in the right sequence. So Ravami said, no, 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 no. Right? A calamity can result from this. It could, there could be a downside. What would be the downside? The e amrit tihadar v'teirok, right? There could be a downside to spitting a second time after the chalitza, because if you're going to say that tihadar, right, hadron alachlet, you're going to go back and spit again, then amri rakika kamaisa lace bum mashasha, then people are going to think that the first spitting had no right consequence, no halachic power at all, and guess what? They're going to uh, f- they're going to think. Go back on the first uh, case before the Yikad Amri, right? What would be the, what would be the, the case if we let you spit the second time? Then people might think that the first spitting was uh, not halachically significant, and in a scenario where she doesn't spit, when she only spits before she, right, uh, the first scenario that we discussed, where she spits before she gets a chance to do chalitza, we might think that she could go ahead and do yibum, right? And we have already learned that that's not the case. That once she spits, it has, amazingly, halachic significance already, and she breaks the zika. The chalitza process has already started, and to do yibum would certainly not, would, 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 be, a, uh, would be a disaster, because she's not supposed to do yibum. She already has no zika to the brothers, okay? So that would be an isra So we have this uh, idea that once she spits, we don't make her spit again, because we want people to understand that the spitting is significant even when out of sequence. Okay? Fine. So now the Gemara says, but why is it significant when it's out of sequence? Maybe, I mean, the, the Torah says, right? Did we, we've, we've gone over this Pasuk already. It says, The Torah explicitly tells you the sequence. So why is it even, why does it have any effect out of sequence? Shouldn't we have to do it in order? Says the Gemara, Kesidron la me'akva. It's not really giving a lot of uh, reasoning here, but it says the, the, the Seder is not me'akev. Right? When you read the Psukim, even though the Pasuk says it in that order, right? And you would think that that would be, that that would be me'akev, that, that would be like an essential part of the procedure, and that's nothing. Um, so the, the Mepharshim explained that we had a Mesorah. That that was a Torah Shabbat Pemesora, that even though, right, we, that's, that we can't do with, we can't move without the Torah Shabbat Pem. Torah Shabbat just says, this is how you do it. Right? That this is how we do it. Okay? But the, but, you know, we, it's hard to know sometimes which parts are absolute as far as the re- requisite way of doing it. And so even though both procedures certainly are necessary, both the spitting and the removal of the shoe, we have a Mesora that it is the order is not um, absolute, and therefore it works without it. Okay. So, when when the Gemara tells us, you know, when we ask the Gemara, or like when you ask your parents, why are we doing this, and they say it's because we said so, it could be unsatisfying. And sure enough, that was actually unsatisfying to Rabbi Abba. Says the Gemara, who's sovra dechuya kamatchile? You know, when when Rabbi Ami told Rabbi Abba, yeah, kasidron lo akva, he thought he was just pushing him off, just saying, why, why are we doing this? Oh, because we said so. So what did he do? Rabbi was uh, undeterred. All right, a Garada, what's the moment? 
you ever have a guy ask a rabbi a question and then he's just asking a guy, the rabbi a question just to sort of like, you know, harass him, but he doesn't really care about the answer. And then the rabbi goes and he kills himself to go find the answer. And he comes back and the guy doesn't even remember what the question was. So he, that's not... The Goranowitz Mr. Moment is the sincerity of always seeking, right, the answer. So Rabbi Abba was unsatisfied, but he himself went to check the answer. This is something, I can see Barry doing something like this, right? Barry never just asks a question. Like, he would go and check. Whenever Barry asks something, he said, you know, I look and I asked and I checked in the, I don't want to embarrass you, but it has happened, you know that. So uh, it's the due diligence. That's what a Talmud Chacham does. He cares enough to continue to, 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 to lose sleep over the kasha. Okay. Anyway, Nafak Dakva Ashkach. So Rav Abba did his own due diligence, his research, and he checked himself. And he found out, yeah, Rabami wasn't just pushing him off. Rabami was saying, he was saying good. He was saying it out of a source to Tanya, because he found a Tanaic source, a Brisa. Bain Shehiktim Khalitza Larkika, Bain Shehiktim Rakika Lachalitza, Masha Asa Asui. What's done is done, which is to say, whether the right the spitting precedes the uh, removal of the shoe or the other way around. That particular order is not me'akev, and whichever way you do it, it's going to be effective. The chalitza will be effective either way. And again, the important part of that is that once you've done one part of it, you can no longer do yibum, right? So that's, that's important, right? So in other words, that would be true, obviously, if you remove the shoe. We've already discussed that. But even if you spit, that would be a bigger chedush because it's outside, out of the order of the psukim, right? In other words, once you remove the shoe without spitting, you already certainly can't do yibum, but even once you only spit. Okay, so now, 10 lines up from the middle lines, and a little bit more spitting details as follows. But first, a story. A fascinating story. Levi Nafak Lakiryasa. Rebbe sent out Levi to the villages. He was going for what they call a prabha. You know what a prabha is, Andrew? Um, Andrew, were you on the search committee for Rabbi Rose? That must have been hard. Searching for Rabbi Rose was like searching for chametz that you put down five minutes ago uh, in, in the place where you know where it is. Okay. So um, so Levi went, went to a problem, right? He's, he's literally going to a, a, a new community and uh, getting tested to be the new rabbi. So Bo Mine, so he's up there at the shtender, at the podium, on the, and they're asking him questions. Three questions. Here we go. So, what did they ask him? First, they wanted to know was gidemes ma'oshe uh, whether a yavama who has no hands, okay, an amputee chalila, um, does she have to do chalitza? Remember, the man needs a leg because the pasuk says, the pasuk says that chalitza na'alome al raglo, right? But the pasuk doesn't say. So we already talked about if a man is an amputee above the knee, that's a problem. But the, does the woman need, it doesn't say how, how the woman takes off the shoe. So we'll see that that's going to end up being the answer. But for the first thing, the question is, can she take it off basically with her teeth? Okay, that's question number one. Question number two. Andrew, can you believe this? Um, when, you did, when you did the search for, for the rabbi, were two out of the three questions you asked the rabbi have to do with Yibum, uh, with Chalitza procedure? Okay, so the question number one was whether she can remove it with her teeth. Question number two was uh, if when she spat, what is the composition of this spit? Is it, uh, what if there's blood in the spit? Would that be ma'akev, in other words? 
it says in the Pasuk that she has to spit. But does, do we care what the quality of the spit is? If she ends up spitting blood, is, is, that, is, that, is she Yotze? Okay. Aval, and that's the second question. Now the third question is a Pasuk from Daniel. They want to ask, what does it mean when it says, Aval agid et emes? They had a Shaila. The Pasuk in Daniel, right, says, I'll tell you um, which of the this is Hashem, uh, or an angel really, right, telling a message from Hashem to Daniel that I'll tell you which one of the things that I said uh, is really Emes. That is a weird thing to say because isn't everything that Hashem says Emes? <coughs> that in fact, excuse me, was their Shiloh. Everything's supposed to be Emes. So was the Navi telling Daniel, I'll tell you which of the things that I said are actually Emes. Miklad uh, Ika, as the as now the Gemara, they spelled out that question a little bit more. Miklad Ika Ksav Emes. Is there anything that Hashem says, anything that's right written that is not Emes? Isn't all of Moshe Emes for Torah so Emes? So what does it mean? I'll tell you which of the things written in the Torah are actually Emes. Okay. So those three questions were asked. Again, the the Yavama with no hands. Can she do Chalitza? Does, what is the composition of the spit and what is going on in this Pasuk and Daniel? So, lo hava be a day. Uh-oh. The Prabhupada did not go well, Barry. Levi was stymied. He was mystified. He had no answers. Okay? And as we said, the sincerity of the, of the Gedolim, asa shoyal be medrashar. He goes to ask in the base medrash, what are the answers to these questions? He says to them, <laughs> can you imagine you're at a Prabhupada? They ask you three questions. He said, these are all great questions. I'll get back to you. Uh, so they say to him, yeah, we'll get back to you. Okay, so, Amrulay, so they set them in the base medish. What do you mean? Why do you think that she needs to have hands? Why would you even think that she can't remove it in her, in her teeth? It says, yeah, he needs a foot, but she doesn't need a hands. It doesn't say how she does it. In other words, that should be Pashat. It does say that she spit, but it doesn't say anything about the composition of the spit. So therefore, clearly, if there's a little bit of blood or whatever in the spittle, that should be fine. And then finally, right, that question of what are you talking about? Is there even a ksav, such a thing as a ksav she'enemes? Lo kasha. That too is not difficult because kan begzar din she'esh imo and kan begzar din she'en imo In other words, like this, and we'll get a little bit more into this, but uh, what do you mean gzar din she'esh imo Well, sometimes Hashem says, for example, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an example. So, it basically it's saying when there's a gzardin that where Hashem says, oh, I swear I'm doing this to you. That is MS. That, what he means is they're both MS. But one, if it's with a swear, that's like uh, uh, axiomatic, I guess you could say, an immovable fixed point where we're not going to change. So, for example, if he tells you that Klal Yisrael will never... Uh, will never disappear, right? You'll always be, I'll always be there for you, right? Cholesterol will always uh, remain. So that you can count on. That's an immovable thing. No matter what happens, that's always going to be there. But let's say he gives, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Od Arbaim Yom V'Ninvei Nehepachas, right? And Yonah. And he says, in another 40 days, I'm turning over all of Ninvei. But he doesn't swear. So guess what, Andrew? He's leaving it open for tshuva. See? So the point is, that when he says MS, he doesn't really mean MS. He just means that immutable, like it cannot change 
And no matter what anybody does, this is a fixed point. I'm starting from this point, and this is not going to change. So Eretz Yisrael will go to the Jews, right? That, that is Breshis Bara, Bishvil Breshis Bara. That is for the Jews. Or, but, but other things, it depends on human behavior, right? And I am setting forth that as it looks now, we're going to be turning over Ninveh and destroying it. But you could always, you could always uh, overturn it. I heard... An unbelievable vart from Rav Pinchas Gross Shlita. This is actually Rav Matisyahu Solomon, uh, he quoted, because he gives a chabur every day about tefillah. So Rav Matisyahu Solomon said, you can never conjecture why the Holocaust happened, obviously. That would be foolish, foolishness. To say why Hashem did such a thing, you cannot, for human beings to understand that you cannot conjecture. However, one is allowed to conjecture that Perhaps it struck all of B'nai Ashkenaz, right, and, uh, pr- predominantly, and barely touched, although it did affect some, but, but relatively barely touched the Anshe Sfard, right? So they said it's because they took their tefillah very seriously. In other words, in Anshe Sfard, you go to a shul, they have, as we will see in today's Gemara, right, their eyes down and libam bashamayim, and the decorum, right, the, uh, that, that you see, uh, I've been told, in the Sephardi shuls is on a very high level, very high level of respect for the tefillah, okay? It's not a casual thing. So uh, one could, could say that, for, that the power of the tefillah to overturn, right, a gazera is certainly something that we believe in. And so we will see this. This is relevant to our Gemara, so it's worth mentioning. That, uh, so you said, so Ramachal Solomon said that to say that tefillah, when very, very serious, right, and when taken, right, with, uh, with the gravitas that it deserves, can be, uh, protective, can be said, and perhaps that could, uh, that could be the schus that the, the B'nai Sfard, um, were able to be protected from. In any event, we'll see that this is what goes on here, that things are, not always, not everything is immutable, but some things are. So those are, which are immutable, those were considered to be the, the MS, so to speak. In that context, it's meant, it's meant, it's meant MS in the sense that it is immutable. Whereas when it is, uh, something that can be changed in fluid based on tefillah and behavior and the like, so those are the psukim that can change. Okay. And that, is supported by this statement as the Gemara continues. How do you know that a Gzardin that does have a Shvua can never change? This is actually an unbelievable example. We know very much that the sons of Eli, remember, that the sons of Eli, as it says in Shmuel Aleph, Behave badly, right? The Ein Kohen Gadol, Chofni and Pinchas. It actually says that they were that they did not, right? Lo Kiras Hashem is a really, I mean, it's just very strong language. And you have Mefarshim all over the place, and we've already had the Gemara and Shabbos and the Gemara and Yuma discuss writers and Shabbos and Hey and Yuma Daf Tess discuss what their uh, four different uh, possibilities to what their Avera was. And it's, uh, it's a big sugya. It's a big sugya what their Avera was. Um, and it's equally notable what their punishment was that for whatever reason, this time and place to have had this Avera of Chafni and Pinchas 
was actually something that Hashem said was going to impact them forever. They will never be the same. It's actually kind of crazy that you had one of the, the, the most famous coin Gadol's of all time, right? Our own coin Gadol and Eli coin Gadol each had two sons who had this situation where you wouldn't necessarily have known how uh, nefarious their behavior was, and yet it has real, real, like, forever implications. That, that's a sugi that needs to be looked into. Andrew, get back to us on that tomorrow. Okay. Uh, but the point is that it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's quite notable that Hashem, in this case, nishbati leveseli, the swear, like, it's always, it's always going to be a punishment for them forever. Wow. So how do you, so fine, so that's an example. Okay, so says the Gemara, Amar Rabbah, so he says, well, cool your jets. It's not necessarily that no child of the house of Eli can ever have kapara. It's just that you can never have kapara. Well, that can make sense, right? Because that's a mita connected mita. They did not, they were disingenuous with the, I mean, one of the pshatim that we said, right, in Shabbos was that they were disingenuous. They took portions that were not meant for them and they forced Minchas that weren't necessary. They forced the women to stay later. Whatever you're going to say was the pshat and what their sin was. It certainly was not the proper, most right, um, uh, sincere right way of handling the carbon, the carbonos. And they were in charge. And so certainly, when it comes to zevach and mincha, so their generations, their offspring would not be able. It was like amida connected amida that vehicle of atonement through Korbanos was going to be taken away from them. Aval, the Gemara continues to say, Miskaparu b'divrei Torah. Aha, but divrei Torah, meaning if you're a, uh, one from the generations of the son of Eli and you learn Torah, from that you could get Kapara. Abaya, so that was Rabbah. And Abaya Yamar bezevach of mincha inu miskaper, miskaper gemilos chasadim. So again, the zevach of mincha is not going to serve as atonement if you're from Bnei Eli, but you could do gemilos chasadim. So watch this, a, a classic Aronowitz Musser moment. Some say this is Rabbah, some say this is Rava. Let's make it Rava, because that's what some of the uh, Gersas, and that makes it fun. Because we know that Rava and Abaye were like in, we learned all the Gemaras and Brachos where they were in kindergarten together, right? Abaye and Rava were always together. We know that Rava was the Rosh Hashiva. And then Rava predeceased Abaya. After Rava died, Abaya became the Rosh Hashiva. And he lived longer. Well, guess what? We know exactly how many years longer. Because Rava and Abaya made the base Eli Kaasu. They both were descendants of base Eli. That in itself is a question. Because they have questions about was Rava a Kohen? Was Rava a Kohen? That plays into the Gersos. But be as, as it may, let's assume that Rava and Abaya were both Kohanim. And that they were both. Um, Right, in kindergarten together, and they're both from base Eli, and Rabba the Asak Batara Chaya Arbay Shanin, and Ra and Rava, we'll call it, who was obviously the Rosh Hashiva, and he learned Torah, he lived forty years. This is notable because what it really means is if you're from base Eli, you're supposed to die prematurely, sounds like, at like age twenty. So Rava actually outlived his life expectancy because of his Torah learning. And Abaya the Asak Batara so he was a, 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 right, a son of the base Eli, and he really outlived his life expectancy. He lived 60 years, an additional 20 years um, over Rava. 
uh, because he had the Torah, which gave him 20 years, and the Gemilus Chasadim, which gave him another 20 years, you see you get the extra atonement for the Torah and the Gemilus Chasadim. May we all be zoicheh by the merits of our Gemilus Chasadim and our Torah um, to live long, productive lives and to be able to be Messiah Shas many times together. Okay. Satana Rabbanon. Mishpacha achas ayta b'yishalayim. We're still on this topic. A story. There was a family in Yerushalayim. And right around 18 years old, the, the, these uh, children were dying Khalila prematurely. Whoa. So obviously this was in the days of Yochanan Medzaka. They go to the Gadol for a bracha. They really need it. This is what's going on here. So He says, you know what? Seems like your lineage might have been from Mishpacha Seili. I guess that's the good news and the bad news, right? And we know that that's what the Pasuk says. All those who are raised in your house uh, will die. This is actually uh, based on, on what it says in Shmuel Aleph um, in the previous Pasuk, okay, in the previous parak, in the end of the second parak. So, So he told him, you know what? It's interesting, he didn't tell him about the Gemilus Chasadim. Okay, he focused on the Torah. Be that as it may, he says, go learn Torah. You should make, you should become like Kolel guys, or at least Kovea Itim to the Torah, and you'll live. So, they went, they learned a lot of Torah, and they survived. And from that point on, they called the Mishpachas Yochanan, right, paying homage or homage to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who gave him this advice, and it is by, right, by the merits of this advice that they were all able to live. Uh, again, long lives to the Torah. to long, healthy life from the, all the learning that you're doing. Okay, fine. So now, six lines up from the bottom. So it's interesting, right? The mishpachat eli was like a very personalized curse. That's a very personalized gzardin, but that's personal. Whenever there's a gzardin, just so you know, as a general rule, when the gzardin for all of Klal Yisrael. Right or of a tzibur that is never set in stone. That is always overturnable because of the power of the tzibur of the tefillah of the tzibur. How do we know? Ain't no nechtam. Wait a minute. First of all, the Gemara says is that really true? Where it says, no matter how much you try to scrub this in, right, the sin off, the sin has become a big stain, a permanent stain, sealed, right. Uh, okay, it's like a real stain that's not going off. Okay, so that sounds like it is, in fact, nechtam. Sounds like the same word, just with with a chaf instead of a ches. I think it's the same word. So it sounds like a direct steer. Says the Gemara, no, no, no. Says the Gemara, Yeah, it looks sealed. I mean, it is, but it could be torn up. Wow. Shneimar mi kashem lokenu b'chol karenu love. It says in the Pasuk, this is in the Torah, right? It says, who's like Hashem whenever we call for him? So whenever we ask Hashem, he's close by. He can override, in other words, that which is already sealed. Aha, kareinu, kareinu. It's a, it's a double entendre, I guess you could say. Double meaning that it means we call for him and he can, and he can um, tear apart all of the evil decree. Okay. So it says, ah, but there's a stira. It says, vaksiv dir shashem behimatz o. This is a famous, you'll hear this every, uh, Aseris Yimei Tshuva as, right, every El time as Yom Naraim approach, 
It says, Dear Shoshem Behimatso, that you should seek Hashem only when he is found. Uh, this is a steer, guys, because Behimatso sounds like he sometimes is found, sometimes not. As opposed to Bechol Karin Halav, sounds like he's our, but he's always on call. So is he always on call, or do we have to wait for him to come? It says the Gemara Lokasha, Hobi Yachid Abitzibur. That for Yachid, you have to wait for him to come. For a tzibur, he's always available, always on call. Yachid, eh, must, so, okay, so let's say you're a Yachid, when does he come? That during Aseris, he made Shuba between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, those days, that's when even individuals without a tzibur, certainly then with a tzibur, it's even better, but those are where the individuals without a tzibur can call to Hashem, that's when he's found. But otherwise, you gotta go to, uh, the Minyan. Okay. Three lines up in the bottom. Let's get back to Chalisa, shall we? I know you were missing that, Andrew. So I'll, I got you back. So again, I sent the following ruling to Avur Shmuel. I guess he was the Chalisa expert here. That if you have a Yavama and she spit and there was a little bit of blood, we already talked about this, that Chalisa is fine. Right? Because it's impossible to have, to not have some blood, a trace at least of some blood cells in every, uh, sample of spittle. Okay? I guess either that's biologically true or it was in the days of, um, rampant gingivitis. Okay. There we go. So, Mesve. So they said, well, the Zabrisa concerning Azov, that sounds like a contradiction. Because the Zabrisa says, Right? Let's say, uh, you might have thought that when blood comes out of the mouth or, right, the, um, the opening of his ama that he is tame, right? So Talmud Lomar, zovo tame. But the Pasuk actually says that only the discharge of a zov is going to be, make him tame. Yeah, so it's only like, uh, ziva discharge. And you could tell when you, it's like, uh, I, I couldn't describe it to you, but you would, you would know it if you saw it. Ew. Uh, but the blood, right, is not going to be tummy, right? Blood is just blood. That's like an injury, right? Obviously, right? A zav and a zava. And we know this with Dam Nida also, right? We, right, right before we started Brachos, we did Mesechas Nida, and we zoka to finish Mesechas Nida together, Bezat Hashem Amen. Uh, Obviously, there's a whole question with Nida, right? Whether if it's, if it's blood from an injury, that's not Dam Nida, right? That's not Tame. So similarly, when there's a Zav, like there's only certain emissions that are considered Tuma. Ironically, Barry, spit is Tame, right? The, the spit of a Zav, right, is going to be Tame. The saliva is Tame. The blood is not. That's what it sounds like. So that's why it's a kosher. In other words, if you're going to say that every sample of saliva has blood in it, so then the opposite should also be true, that every sample of blood should have some, that comes out of his mouth, should have some saliva in it. Oh, if the sample of blood has saliva in it, so then why is it indeed not tame? Says the Gemara, lo kosher. Kan motzetzes, kan motzetzes, it means that with a Yavama who sucks blood and spits it out, that's going to always have some saliva in the blood. But here, when we talk about the Zav, he's got like a, he cut his lip and he's got like blood dripping out. 
that's not necessarily going to have saliva in it, and therefore that's what it's talking about when it says that's the 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 um, blood that comes out of the zav's mouth that is not tummy. Very good. Okay, the very end over here of kafei medalev cherish and nechlatz. Okay, chalitza performed. We said on a cherish, right, or or an elaim if if one of the of the participants in the chalitza or a katan cherish shot of a katan, right. The chalitza is no good. That's what we said. So as we turn to Kofayim and Beis, we said, I'm reviewed, I'm a Rav. Zu divir rebi meir. Avachachamim ain chalitza's katan klum. Okay. So <laughs> what's going on here? That, that Rebbe Meir said that chalitza is going to be invalid and it's going, but it's going to be powerful enough to disqualify her, right, from marrying any of the brothers subsequently. So, in other words, the chalitza is invalid, but now she needs a chalitza. Okay? Now she needs another chalitza. But Chachamim say that it's not, it's gurnished mit gurnished, which means that, in fact, right, you can see, you can, you can get, uh, you can do, uh, yibum. As Rashi says, in chalitza's katan klum, look at the last wide line, afilu leposla love. In other words, she's not even puzzled to him. It was as if nothing happened. That, that's the machlokus over there. Um, on, on Tzadik, Tzadik Vavim Dalef, says Rashi, right, the machlokas of what the status of a chalitza of a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old would be. Okay. Now we're in the two dots, two lines down. And the next section, here we go. Ketana Shechalza. Okay, what's going on here? So the, if a minor, right, a girl, little girl, performs chalitza when she's a child, does she have to perform another chalitza when she's an adult? Yes. And... What if she doesn't? So let's get into it. The Rameyer says that she, actually, it's her chalitza is totally not valid. She has to do another chalitza. Right? And we saw that in the Pasuk, right? The Pasuk says, So the intro to the mitzvah, the um, process of chalitza, it says ish. Well, it doesn't say anything about a woman. It just says ish. Well, ish means an adult male. Okay. It says the Gemara, "Makshin on isha leisha," and we compare the male to the female, and therefore, just like a, it has to be an adult male, so too, in order to perform chalitza, it has to be an adult female. That's Reb Meir. Chacham could say, you know, you could look at the pasuk the exact opposite way. That when it comes to the male, it says ish, and it specifically says an adult, but it doesn't say anything about the female, and therefore, perhaps, when a woman does uh, chalitza even as a girl, right? Um, it may actually work. And therefore, our Mishnah, that would be connected to our Mishnah. Is, that would mean that our Mishnah, which says that the chalitza of a girl does not work, that would only be according to her mayor. But Chachamim actually would say that it would work. Says the Gemara, man Chachamim. When we say Chachamim, like it's everyone connected to her mayor? No, Rabbiosi. This would be Machlokas Rameyer Rabbiosi. How do we know? So, we know from the following story. I'm going to tell you the story, Andrew. And while I tell you the story, in context, you'll understand that this idea uh, that the chalitza, right, of a young girl works is the sheet of Rabbi Yossi, as follows. So Rabbi were sitting. This is what we alluded to before. person who davens has to look down. Downwards where? Kind of towards Eretz Yisrael. I was once Zoha 
to be in the living room of uh, Rav Eisenman, Zetzal, the Mashgiach. Wait, is he alive? I don't even know. I apologize. I don't know. I know he's not the Mashgiach anymore of Ner Yisrael. Um, anyways, big tzaddik. And um, the bottom line is he showed us in his living room, he had a, uh, it was years and years ago, he showed us in his, uh, in his living room a uh, picture, an aerial view of Eretz Yisrael. It was actually very striking. That's very relevant to here, because here there's, uh, the Rishonim described whether the Lamata means looking down, like with humility, as one does when they're humble, or looking down as if to be looking down as, at Eretz Yisrael from an aerial view. Be that as it may, Andrew, you direct your hearts, right, upwards to Shemaim, and your eyes are cast downward either towards the base of Mikdash or cast downwards in humility, okay? That should be your attitude of prayer. Well, in that context, it's referring to, in Malachim Aleph, it's referring to Eretz Yisrael, okay? Be that as it may, so that's why we say Eretz Yisrael. So you should look down uh, in humility with, your, with, with thoughts towards Eretz Yisrael. The Chadana Amar Ein of Lamala. Okay, so which is it? Is, should, your heart, should your eyes be cast down as if towards Eretz Yisrael or upwards towards heavens? That means lift our hearts with our hands to Shem in heaven, and that means that you're directing your eyes to heaven. Okay, so that's the question. Do you direct your eyes upwards or downwards? Are you looking up or are you looking down? So in the meantime, Rabbi Shmuel ben Rabbi Yossi came to him and Amrlo ben Maya Siktu says, Hey, uh, what are you guys talking about? Amrlo ben Tfila. We're talking about Tfila. So Amrlo, so Shmuel ben Rabbi Yossi said, Kachamar Abba. I'll tell you what my father, Rabbi Yossi, said. He said, When you daven, you should have your eyes cast down again in humility towards, or towards Eretz Yisrael, and your heart is supposed to be towards Shemaim. Right? And that actually is a way of reconciling these two psukim. Are you supposed to think towards up or, to, or towards down? You're supposed to have your eyes cast down and your heart cast up. And that's how you connect the up and the down. And that was that story in the name of Rabbi Yossi. Okay, so this so far has nothing to do with the Chalitz of Akhtana. But that was like when he first walked into Shir. Meanwhile, Adahachi Asa Rebbe Lemesifta. We're continuing the story, story now. So in the meantime, Rebbe came to the yeshiva. Inu Dava Kalila Yeshiva Beduchtayu. And those who were uh, light-footed, right, they sat in their places very quickly. However, the very aforementioned Rebbe Shemal Rebbe Yossi, don't forget, Rebbe Shemal came and quoted his father, right? They're all discussing. So you can imagine the scene, right? The shear before the Rebbe comes in, right, everybody is kind of tumulting. Everybody's talking and learning. And so he shows up. He says, hey guys, Rabbi Yossi, his father was a big gadol. Rabbi Shmuel and the son of Rabbi Yossi was a big gadol. And he says, this is what he said about tefillah. By the way, the shear was starting. And then Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Yossi, agav yukre have a mefasei ve'azil. Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Yossi was very overweight. And, and he was a little more clumsy. Agav yukre. Because due to his overweight, he was a little clumsier. So in his clumsiness, he's like kind of bumping into all the guys in the shear. Uh, as he's walking in and he's making a ruckus and he's, and he's tipping over chairs. So, you know, not quite as graceful. So, Amale Abdon, so Abdon, which is not a very, he was a Talmud of Rebbe, 
Now, some say his name was Abba Yudan. Okay. The bottom line is, this is not, we're not going to be using his name in, um, in, 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 good, in a good context here because Abdan, one of the Talmidim, thought that this was disrespectful. In other words, right, Rabbi Shemuel ben, ben Yosef is coming into Shir. He's kind of tumbling over chairs. He's making a ruckus and he gets called out by one of the other Talmidim. And Abdan says to him, He said, who, who do you think you are, right, that you're kind of stepping over the heads of these holy people? Meaning you're like overstepping the, the chazam. You're saying, maybe you're saying, pardon me, excuse me. Maybe you're knocking them over. This is inappropriate. He calls him out. So Amalei, so Yishmael ben Rabbi said to Abdan, Ani Yishmael ben Rabbi You're asking me who I am? I'm Yishmael ben Rabbi Yossi. Shabbat Rabbi. I'm just a pushed person and I came to learn Torah from my Rebbe and I'm just trying to get to my seat like everybody else. I happen to be, right, heavier and clumsier and so I apologize. So Amalei, so Rabbi Abdan said to him, Dachi, Ata hagun Rebbe? Uh-oh. This is not a nice way to be to say it. He says, Are you who... Who coming in so casually, knocking over the Talmidim? Are you worthy of learning from Rebbe? So Amalei, so Yisrael Rabbi Yossi said, "He says, who's worthy? Who's worthy to learn from the from Rebbe? You think Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the greatest of all Talmidim and Rebbeim, uh, could, could would would have said to you that he was roi to learn from his Rebbe, who was a Kaddish Baruch Hu? Who's roi? Like, am I going to sit and say that I'm roi? He could have said, you know, I'm I'm Yisrael Yossi." My father's obviously I have great yichus and I'm come from a you know worthwhile family, but he just says like who who amongst us is right? Uh, okay, that's a it's the kind of a humble response. So Amalei, so Abdan said, "Bechi Moshe Asa." He says, "What are you saying? You comparing yourself to Moshe Rabbeinu?" So Amalei, so he said, "No, I mean I'm just saying, Bechi Rabko Lokimu. Are you comparing Rebbe as great as he is to Kadosh Baruch Hu? I'm just making an analogy." Oh, so Amar Yosef. So Gemara says. Rabbi Yosef said, Shakla Rebbe Lemitzvarse. So in this, while this exchange was going on, Rebbe, right, who's the Rav, was about to start Shir, sees the exchange. And he actually uh, received a mitarpase, Rashi, Ligmulo al Shashama Velomicha. There was a little bit of a punishment that Rebbe received for not standing up for Rabbi Shemal Berbiosi in this dialogue. Why? The Ka'amale Rabcha. Because again, Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi said to Abdon, your master, the low Rebbe, not my master. In other words, Rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel, had Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi said, our Rebbe, that would have been a kavod for Rebbe, right? Because right, sometimes you say, um, Rebbe, when you, say, when you speak to Rebbe, you say, Rebbe, so then you are personalizing it. You have taken him on as your Rebbe. But... I guess upon seeing that Rebbe wasn't intervening, Rabbi Shmuel referred to Abdon's Rebbe, or whose Rebbe was giving the shear, as your Rebbe. And that was, in a sense, a little bit of less covered for Rebbe. Not that he was trying to be disrespectful, but that was, in a sense, Rebbe's punishment for not standing up for his own Talmud. Because after all, Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi was also his Talmud. And so when Rabbi Shmuel Yossi saw that he didn't stand up for him, he didn't refer to him as our Rebbe. Be that as it may, Adachi Yasser Yavam Lekamei the Rebbe. In the meantime, while all this tumult was going on, we get back to our topic, the context of a Yavama coming before Rebbe. So we know already who the players are in the Shir. So Amar lay Rebbe Abdon. So Rebbe said to his Talmud Abdon, Puk Baduka, go and check her to see whether she reached adulthood. 
Okay, so Levasa Dunafak, so Abdan goes to check to see if this, if this uh, woman about to do Chalitza was an adult. Amalei Rabbi Shemal, Kachamar Abba. During that moment, Rabbi Shemal, who again is, is the son of Rabbi Yossi, says, My father said, The Pasuk is only specific about the male being an adult. But for a female participating in Chalitza, it could be an adult or a minor. So Amalei, so Rabbi said to Abdan, Talk, come back. We don't need you to check. Rabbi Shmuel's father, Rabbi Yossi, who had great right authority, had already paskin, and therefore we paskin that the woman does not have to be a gadola; she could be a katana to perform the chalitza. Wow! So interesting. He said that he sent Abdan out, and then he called him back in. He said that wasn't necessary. So Abdan So Abdan is now stepping slowly, going back to his place. Right, with his tail between his legs, because he didn't have to go out in the first place, it turns out. And it turns out that the Talmud that he had made fun of was in fact the son of Rabbi Yossi, who the Rebbe deferred to, to determine this halacha. So, Rabbi Shmuel Yossi, at that point, is now trash-talking Abdan back. He says, he who is needed by his holy people... Yeah, he can step on the legs. He can, uh, he can push over the Talmudim as he comes in because he's needed. So he says back to Abdan, he said, you know, you better be careful when you walk back because you don't have the luxury of pushing anybody over because you're kind of like not that necessary because you're, you're not really that useful to the Am Kadosh because you went out for an uh, unneeded purpose of checking to see if the woman was a Katana or Gadala, which was not necessary. To which, at this point, the Rebbe backed him up. Unbelievable. Rebbe backed up. Bishmael Berbiosi. Amalei Rebbe Labdam. Yeah, That's a good idea. Maybe you should stay where you are. He literally and figuratively put him in his place, right? And said, Abdan, maybe you should stay there. So, you know, obviously this, this story needs much perish, but Abdan went out of his way to trash talk Bishmael Berbiosi. It was not appropriate. And you see, call me Dosef Shakosh Baruch Mida Keneged Mida. Within minutes, the whole thing fell back on Abdan over there. Okay. Now the Gemara says about this incident, Tana, but also Shah needs Tara Abdan. You know, Abdan, not only that, to add insult to injury, he got Saras. Vitavu Shnei Vanov. Uh oh. And two of his sons drowned. This is getting intense. Umanu Shnei Chalosov. And two of his daughter in law ended up performing Mion. We're going to see this back in Kovches soon enough, in a few days. Amar of Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Brich Rechmana de Chasvile Abdan by Alma. Oh, Baruch Hashem, or, or it's almost like Baruch Dayanemes, or Baruch Hashem in this case, he says, who shamed Abdan in this world is more than shamed. He had a lot of ramifications in this world, but not in the world to come. So I'm a Rabbi Ami. So Rabbi Ami says, Anyway, from all of this, we can learn that Katana can do chalitza when she's young. Uh, mind you, Pu'utos, she can't be like a two-year-old, but she has to be like six or seven years old. To which Rav Amar, How old can she be? She could be a Katana, but she can't be six or seven. She has to be 11. That's when you could do, start doing the darm. At the end of the day, after all that, we, uh, the halacha is, uh, with accordance to Rabbi Meir, that she has to bring shtei saros. We have, uh, one minute, and we're three, uh, two dots, three lines down, uh, in the wide lines. Uh, the two dots, that's a very good place to pick up. There's Atashem tomorrow.